Welcome to Rooted Within with Lily and Dan, a podcast that shines a spotlight on positive change makers, sharing their stories of legacy, inspiration, and impact. Each episode, Lily and Dan will speak to individuals who have made their dreams a reality, exploring their journeys, mindset shifts, and what motivated them. Join us as we explore the lives of those who are making a difference and let their stories inspire you to achieve your own goals. I worked at a music store when I was in high school in Sharjah because they did like weddings, right? Super random. And I negotiated a deal where I was like, look, clearly you guys have a lot of stuff that you don't know how to keep track of. I built like a spreadsheet system for them. And in return, I get to learn how to DJ for free and I get to like play and use their equipment. So my dad insists on being the donor. Him and mom kind of had a thing about it. And he said, he's like, I've been the financier for this family. I haven't been a parent. Like, you've been doing the work. So I'm going to give him my kidney. I'm like, great. Now I need to carry that guilt. Appreciate it, bro. And she asked me to stick around after class. And we started talking. She's like, okay, clearly you're not an idiot. Like, what's the deal? And I told her about what's been happening. And her response was like, let's say you die today. (laughs) I'm like, whoa, ma'am, you have a way with words. Awesome. Seriously. And she was like, let's say that happens. What have you done for yourself? Rooted Within with Lily and Dan. Right. Normally, uh, I would have someone to throw to, to co-host and do the introductions, but today you only have me. Ooh, but in the studio, I'm so excited. I got the one and only OT. Yes, I am. Better known as so many. No, no. Just really. OT. It's just, it's Omar Tom, known as OT, and it's as simple as that. Have you always been OT? Um... No, it started about 09 or 2010 when I started in radio. Yeah. And you were in radio? Yeah, for a brief period of time, I was. Oh, mate. And I thought I knew you. <laughs> so I'm excited because for once I've got someone, a guest that I know inside out and has been a real long time friend of mine. So it's great right. to have you in the studio. But Thanks. I didn't know you were on radio. You were on that airplane mode. Yeah. Okay. So uh, it was uh, 09, 2009 till about 2013. Dubai Radio. Uh, 104.1. No way. Yeah. Doing uh, I co-host. I began by shadowing Danny Neville on his show on Saturdays and eventually started RJing and co-hosting and like learning that whole radio world. It's been fun. Every Saturday, 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. like clockwork, The Edge with Danny Neville. It was myself, uh, Mikey, a.k.a. Empty Pockets, Kareem, DJ Brooklyn, and Danny. Jeez. Yeah. That's a lifetime ago. Yeah, it was fun. All right, well, I'm going to jump back for a second. How'd you end up in Dubai? How I ended up in Dubai, I was born in Sudan Mm. and less than 40 days later, my mom came out here. My dad was already here. He was setting up a new office for his business. Mm. He had a business, he has a business in cargo and shipping. So my dad was like, all right, once you're done, come through. (laughs) That was supposed to be your future. That was it. So here we are. And we've been here for the most part ever since. Crazy. So I remember the first time I met you was... The year would have been maybe, it was after 2014, around that time, 14, 15. You'll be able to correct the date when I tell you where I saw you. Go for it. You were sitting in what used to be the collective. Oh, so that is after 2016. Okay. The reason why Mm. I started the Can Show November 2015, I met Reem at the Dubai Lynx in 2016, Mm. made a barter deal. And then in May 2016, I I had a surgery which we can get to later. Yeah. And then part of the barter that I've made was after I com- was I was going to build like a s- complete business strategy for them. Yeah. And in return, I get to use their sound studios after yeah. hours. I used to, I'd, I'd arrive because that was the time because that was in, you know, the Twin Towers. Yeah. And I used to come there because I used to go to the fitness first for my spin classes. Right. Remember? Yes. That's I what it was. That. And you used to stop by before Stop by and say sessions. hello. I would try and do it before because <laughs> after I looked a freaking mess. Yeah. But I would rock up and every time I'd see this dude sitting in, in, in Reem's office in the corner table, just, you know, Yo. head down. I put in that work. You were there every day. Yo, non- like for somebody that worked in advertising, talk about setting boundaries because mm. I would show up to work on time. I'll spend my lunch break on my personal computer mm. working on the can show. And then as soon as it hits six, I'd leave the office, go to their office yeah. and set up. I'm either I was either recording an episode or I was working yeah. on something in regards to the show. But like, I'm just, I remember the first time and, and, and I sort of saw you there and I kept walking and I go up to her and I'm like, oh, there's someone in your office. Yeah. She goes, oh yeah, 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 that's just OT. Yeah. 
Uh, That's just OT. It got to a point where they gave me they gave me the key card for the door because yeah. I would close up after everybody. Yeah, but that that, that <laughs> but that's the thing about Reem. Reem and Norma are just amazing people, yeah. aren't they? Yeah, they really are. But you were an advertiser, and I remember you telling oh. me about life. Can we mention where? Or rather not uh, mention Let's where. not, because let's I, not. I might, I might, can I cuss on this show? <laughs> of course you oh, can. Oh, okay, because I, I got a lot of shit I could say that I don't want to, you know, I don't want it to but come you, back again. I remember you just, we had, we had a few chats back then and you're like, you know what, it sucked my soul. Yo, it was horrible. You were there and you were in, in the advertising role for quite a few years. Many years. I started my career in advertising in 2011, 12. Did you want to be in advertising oh, or did so you just fall in there? I fell into it. Even educationally speaking, I yeah. fell into it. I was supposed to go to do aerospace engineering. What? Yeah. <laughs> I really do know this man and I have right? known him for years. Right. It's, it's this one is of those stories that I, I guess what? that haven't come out a lot. Yeah. I want, I was adamant, like, because my dad was in shipping, my mm. uncle was the CEO of the Sudanese Airlines at some point in the 80s and he was in that industry as yeah. well. I got cousins who were pilots. So, like, great. This is that's like the going. family legacy, right? Yeah. I'm like, that's what I'm going to do. But I wanted something that, like, is also different but kind of similar and i'm like this thing and i the reason why there's a book i used to my, i used to go to my dad's office a lot when i was yeah young, and i'd go to pick up the same book where we were just blueprints of all different types of airplanes oh, wow. and i just like and it was like this old book and everything's in black and white and i started the coolest thing i've seen so yeah it was just one of those things but just what happened? because of my health conditions they were deteriorating really fast and i was not aware of how bad it was and my mom was like, look, I'm scared. I'm worried. How about you stick around? Maybe do your bachelor's here. Then you can go. And I was like, Ugh, I don't know. And I was like, all right, cool. Which university will take me right now? Applied. Got into AUD, into their business program. Like, all right, do this thing mm-hmm. and see what happens. Eventually, <laughs> I was doing something called integrated. No, it was called management business, like MIT, MIB, something like that. That's something to do with technology and business management. I don't remember what it was called. And like by my second semester, they're like, oh, we dropped that program. It's not there anymore. Come what? and choose something else. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> like, Your oh, future, the way you saw it. Yo. Yeah, no. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, all right, what is this? Let's do IMC, Integrated Marketing Communications. Sound fancy word for advertising. That. And the only difference I chose that, I remember over advertising, yeah. was this had a business angle to it. Okay. Whereas traditional advertising was just. It's just pure advertising. Yeah. yeah, more the creative. So I'm like, all right, cool, I'm going to do this thing. And. I think I got lucky with the professors I had because that set me into this direction. Mm-hmm. And I remember the reason why I chose it was that I was really into creative stuff. Like my mom always talks about how I still I, I sketch a lot. I still do. Sometimes I'll doodle here and there. I hired an intern a while back and she apparently used to go to high school with us. And she was in my brother's class. Yeah. And she had a sketch Your that younger I made. Brother, right? Yeah, yeah, my yeah. younger brothers. So she had a sketch that I made from way back when. I'm like... No I, don't ha- I don't have that kind of sentimentality to it. I was just like, kind of draw it off and hand it over. So yeah, so I was, I was doing that. I was really into like, really deep into hip hop culture yeah. in all its aspects. Like I wanted everything about it. I was yeah. very thirsty for all that knowledge about um, and information, the music, the language, the fashion, all of it, you know? And I worked at a music store when I was in high school in Sharjah because they had, they did like weddings, <laughs> right? Super random. And I negotiated a deal where I was like, look, I'll fix. Clearly, you guys have a lot of stuff that you don't know how to keep track of. I built like a spreadsheet system for them. And in return, I get to learn how to DJ for free. And I get to like play and use their equipment. And Always the, 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 the entrepreneur, right? Uh, yeah. And always very resourceful. Honestly, it was just. It's just a thing. It's just a thing. Uh, it, it's exposure. Or more is it. You've always got a hunger to learn. You, you're curious. Yes, you you have a real curiosity. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and from everything that I've seen you do, yeah. to me, that's sort of the yeah. underlying driver. Completely. Like, I need to know how something yeah. works. Like, I'm... Well, there's the engineering. You hear the huh? stories of kids breaking, yeah, breaking open things. things. Yeah, like, I, I did a lot of that. I did not put them back together but very you do, well. But you do that in your business. You Completely. break things apart. So I need to know how things yeah. work. So, like, my by the time I was in my senior year in high school... I was the I was such a troublemaker, like academically. No, well. oh. never would Yo, not believe that for a moment. OT. The fights that I used to get into <laughs> were horrible, and I was like, okay, I need to clean my record because it just says sports, academia, no discipline, and no like extracurricular activities other than sports on campus. So I was like, all right, I'm gonna do this thing, and I joined quote unquote to become like a prefect yep. in school. Yo, I was like, <laughs> I was the plug because now I got like access to like 
school admin stuff and I'd let my boys do what they wanted. Like I was that guy like, oh, you need an extra basketball? Like, I got you. Yeah, there's there's the strategy. <laughs> there's the strategy right? as well. Everything was calculated. Of course. Like um, you got, you know, you got to, you got to hook your boys up. But that's sort of what you did in the advertising world, right? You Same were strategy. Thing. Exactly. Picking things through apart, understanding it, putting exactly. it back together in a better way. And I had an amazing professor, uh, Dr. Sarah Kamal, that put me on that path. And she's like, that's what you should be doing. That aspect want, of it. Yeah. And she's like, because you'll get to do those stuff. You'll get to play. You get to be those kind of creative. But also you understand. What, all these elements of art and music and hip hop that you want to integrate into your life fits here and there. And I was like, all right, cool. This kind of makes sense. So I, I ventured into that. Funny enough, I initially got hired in PR, part of a management training program for mm -hmm. one of the ad agencies that barely lasted three months before I got moved to digital and social. And that was because a gentleman named James Andrews. Mm-hmm. Huge in the music scene back in the day. He worked with people like Jazzy Jeff, Destiny Child. He was uh, he worked for Columbia Records. Made a lot of money in the dot com era, and then kind of quit music and moved into like tech and digital. Yeah. And sits with the likes of your Gary Vee's, so on and so forth. And at the time, I got a message on Twitter from at Key Influencer. This is like, oh, 2012. Mm. And hey, it's my first time in the Middle East that I work, and I get really cool sneakers from. Clearly, you seem to be in. I'm like, how did this guy know? Mm. I was about sneakers like that. And I checked my account and I panicked. I'm like, how did this person know? And it turns out I posted it's like a pair of Jordan's photo or something at some point. And it's like, and he picked up on that. And I told him, like, look, man, I rely on family and friends and online marketplaces. <laughs> There's nowhere here that you can get, mm. you know, those type of shoes. Bring it with you if you're coming from the States. Yeah. And after a few months, he's like, hey, I'm coming, I'm coming to the Middle East. Um, let's catch up. Jump on a Skype call. It always failed because Skype in Dubai was not a oh, thing. Oh, God, no. So that never Painful. worked out. Show up to work one day and they're like, oh, everybody in the boardroom. And there's this dude, hat, dreadlocks, and just standing there talking about, I did this for this XYZ brand and that and the Grammys and that. I like this huge success story. And I'm like, who is this guy? And, like, this and he's just so cocky. And I Googled his name in the middle of the meet on the session. And it turns out it was the same guy that I was talking to on no Twitter. No way. And it's like James Andrews, key influencer. I never put two and two together because that's just... A social media handle. I'm like, oh shit, you're that guy. I know you. In the middle of the meeting and everybody stopped and they're looking at me like I was crazy. I was like, oh, OT official. We connected on Twitter and he hugged me like we've known each other for no years. No way. And we became super close like since then. So he tells management, those guys should not be in PR. That's a waste of his time. Mm. Put him in, in digital and they felt like that was the right space for me. And at the time, it was exciting. This was the time where of your private Facebook groups and Twitter yeah that was that was it that was it and we worked on some crazy projects we did something called it was technically the first transmedia project in the middle east where certain characters on television had uh facebook pages mm. uh, facebook profiles not pages mm. like private profiles of the characters names and then during the hiatus they will do other things and so people started to feel like these people are real real and we kind of connected this built this whole universe that was a lot of fun so we got we got to do, do really cool, cool shit. stuff and eventually I'm like, all right, I'm done. Like, what's next? Because this is not strategy. This is not what I came to do. No. And I asked them to shift me to strategy. They're like, uh, we don't know. We'll figure something out. I went to the head of strategy. I'm like, sir. Why? Why do um, you think it was, uh, because they, they were so, getting out, more out of you and digital didn't no, want to create that hole? So here's the thing. The, the issue with, in, in my humble opinion, that I never liked about the advertising industry is that strategy as a role was actually never seen as a revenue generating function. It's an additional function to creative deliverables. Oh, well, that's the wrong way of looking at it. Right. So very rarely would you have clients that are willing to pay, pay. extra for strategy. So you kind of try to hide that revenue within the line items. Okay. And I'm like, but yo, we're like the brain cell, you know, in some ways. Yes, creative takes whatever this thing is and makes it real. That's, yeah, but if the strategy is not right, right, it doesn't matter what your creative if is. Because here's the thing. We're not creating art for the sake no. of art. We're creating art for the sake of commerce. Exactly. And it's a very fine line and it's a very fine dance that you got to know how to do. My role is to figure that connection to commerce out. Yep. To how to meet business, not only marketing, but also business objectives for clients. And then be crazy rowdy and mm. cool enough to inspire the creative team to get excited mm. about this thought that you have yeah. whether whatever that strategy yeah. proposition is so like you straddle both worlds at all times yeah. and the beauty about it is that unlike anything else it gave me access to top of the food chain of mm. corporate ladders like i would say with c-suite management well, well, yeah, but they're, they're, the, they're the ones that understood they were the right. ones that understood the value of it completely so yeah. The access you get, especially when you step into the uh, the business development space. Mm. Now you're like part of 
locking in new businesses, pitching new clients. And st- strategy is my happy place. Oh, it's a lot of fun. Like to, to me, it's a, oh yeah, those are words I can't say on air. But yeah. <laughs> but it is. <laughs> it and takes me places. I can never get enough of it. Oh, no. and, and I think in a lot of ways, that's how I built everything we've built today. So you did, you, you, you ended up getting into the strategy team because I remember you telling me yeah. that. And then at some point you were like, yeah, you're still not doing what I want to do. So I'm out. Yeah. Drop mic. See you later. Yeah. I was, and it was funny too. Like I got, I got an, I won an all expense paid trip to the Ken Lion Awards. Yep. Submitted my resignation the day I got on the flight. Well done Same. you. I'm like, all right, yo, thanks, I'm out. Thanks. <laughs> thanks. How, do you remember much from the Ken Lion? Surprisingly, <laughs> certain things, not all of it. Um, Anything between anything after two p.m. Let's no. let's not Gap. discuss. Yeah, and we can't discuss. No, it's in the gutter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For, for the sure. little let's literal gutter bar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, no, <laughs> brilliant. Did you have the idea for Dukan before you left, or did you oh, leave and then? So, I always knew I was going to build a business of some yep. sort. I think, and I credit this to the exposure to my dad's world mm-hmm. from a very young age my dad so in Sudanese culture there's a saying which is like which means that the small the youngest the youngest the youngest of the tribe is the servant right okay yeah so and my dad loves to host he would host breakfasts lunches dinners teas coffees whatever it is and it's a bunch of ogs and it always interrupts what you want to do as a kid it'll interrupt play playtime it'll interrupt gaming it'll interrupt watching every it'll interrupt your life so now you got to drop everything and serve these old men who had horrible humor but they thought they were funny and you just don't want to be there so now you're the guy you know setting up the dining table you're the guy like setting up tea Mm -hmm. and coffee and pouring and and you're like sir how much sugar would you like with your tea and you're looking like two and three quarter spoons (laughs) i'm like i'm like two or three i'm like i'm good at math you figure this out because i do not know this equation sir (laughs) like how do how do you do that (laughs) i couldn't stand them but that exposure was amazing because my dad would sit with other business folk would sit with dignitaries would sit with diplomats and all kinds of people that i had exposure to and there are things that i've learned that i've noticed like okay like it's just the kind of conversations they have they're you know certain etiquettes and cues of business like you know you don't talk business over the meal you mm. talk about business when the tea comes mm. and you're and you're having dessert because mm. now you're full and you're comfortable yeah. and if you, you know? were if you were in korea it was only when you were drinking <laughs> right exactly like but not during the meal in no. and of itself that's where lit quote unquote you break bread that's mm. your building rapport you're talking mm. politics mm. global economics life kids whatever right and then business kind of comes way at the end so like learning these etiquettes that are still practiced by that generation mm. sort of a customer right yeah. so kind of that exposure taught me a lot so i always knew i wanted to do something that was mine for myself and not working for somebody else and that's how eventually i got to like okay i had a rough concept for the business by then the can show already existed i've already mm-hmm. started the show it's been running i started really picking up it was doing well and we're like you know early adopters early in the game i was told it's not gonna work we're still here yeah you know and you said like that you were one of the original podcasts right yeah november 2015 by then mustafa just started they're out of yeah. saudi arabia they just started about a month prior if my math is if i remember that correctly and kerning was just kicking off around the same time oh, as yeah, well kerning so the three of us were probably the first independent podcasts at the middle east yeah and by the time i was done with it i'm like i'm out yeah and i submitted res- resignation but i haven't told anybody i was doing that go to can come back Reem and Omar take me out to dinner. Mm. And Reem goes, you're always in our office. You know, you're recording your show. People love having you around. You know, you're a lot of fun. And you seem like you're good at what you do. We have earmarked a budget for a salesperson. Would you like to work with us? And I'm like, actually. (laughs) Can I retweak that? Yeah. Like, I got a better idea because kind of quit my job. I ain't got no money, no savings. And I got something I wanted to figure out. (laughs) And I didn't, at the beginning, it wasn't called the Ken. It was called Cause Culture. Because okay. the idea was that everything we do, we do to, to cause, cause cultural culture. impact. Yeah. And my approach to it was that traditional marketing or the advertising world overall over, always overlooks mm. culture. You mm. look at a demographic, you mm. look at a psychographic, but nobody paid attention to culture. culture and subcultures. Right? And, and the importance of that. Completely, right? Yeah. Like, and, I, and I always give the same example because I think it's, it's so extreme that people would understand it immediately is that if I say skateboard culture. Mm. doesn't matter where you are in the world, how old you but are. But there is a culture. There are certain things you all do. You have the same vernacular, the same slang, probably you listen to the same music, and you know certain terminologies and things and the practice of it, even the way it's but documented. Even, even the fashion. 
Exactly, right? All of it. So that's it. Like that, that transcends boundaries. So that's what I'm saying. So cultures and subcultures were mm. critical. So I was like, mm. that. I knew that was going to be the backbone of what we're building. But there's a huge educational layer that we had to mm. overcome because people look at you like, huh? Yeah. Um, I sat. Well, it comes back down to what you said. People are understanding that wanting to pay for that without understanding the value. Correct. Not knowing your product, not knowing the value is hard. No. And so we obviously would do some smaller ad agency services. Uh, we did a lot of production stuff because Collective was there. So it was a mm. very easy relationship. Yeah. And I would just, I just kept fighting for this thing where I would build strategies around cultural understanding. And little did I know the Ken Show was a great Trojan horse mm. at the time because it gave us access to incredible people, incredible conversations. Oh, help you build a database. Yo, we, we knew cinemas were going to come to Saudi probably like three, four years mm. prior. Right. Yeah. That we knew that conversations are currently happening, that this is an actual possibility. Yeah. So that's the kind of access it gave us. Yeah. Um, which is something I can never take for granted. I don't think I w- we would have been no. able to build what we did without the podcast. So on. today you've got your own business. You're doing everything that you said you did. But you did all this whilst having one hell of a health journey. Oh, still going. It's not, there's no finish line. No, but you, <laughs> you mentioned point. it. Well, yeah. Double-edged sword, blessing, curse, silver lining. All of the above. Yeah. All of the above have brought you to where you are today and yeah. created what you have created today as opposed to going into the yeah. into planes and you know trains and yeah. automobiles. But you said health. Yeah, so health is, is a big, big part of the journey. And now it's, it's come to potentially becoming a creation or a development of a new solution of its own, which I can get to towards the end of this uh, story. So I... Around the age of two, I still wet, not only still wet the bed, but would wet my pants. So my mom being a pharmacist and a doctor and having doctors for all her, my mom's the youngest of six. I hope my math is right. But um, my uncle, the eldest, is a pediatrician um, and we had other doctors in the family. So she, and her herself through her own med school journey, she's like, that's not supposed to happen. Yeah. So we go to see my uncle. Thankfully, he was heading the pediatrician department at Fujairah Hospital. So he, oh, wow, okay. he was here as well. And he was there since like, late 70s, early 80s. So, you know, he's quite established in that space. We go down, we see him. And this begins the journey of, okay, it could either be bladder issues. It could either be kidney issues. It could also be psychological. Like, let's Mm. not discount Mm. that. So it began this journey where I probably have seen all kinds of doctors for the, from that point on. And bless my parents because it's easy to take one doctor's word for it. My parents were like, no, we need a second opinion. They don't like the second opinion. They'll get the next. Like they were seeking an answer of hope somewhere that no, that was no, nobody was giving them. So my uncle said, you know what? The best person I can recommend who was with me in college, Dr. Parrott in London, go seek this guy. He's the bomb. Okay. We go to the UK and Dr. Parrott, I mean, now you're talking about like 91, 93, early 90s. We go there and like, this is your old school stereotype of an Englishman doctor the bow tie the tweed jacket the glasses and in the pipe the pipe you know and in an office that's just like mahogany brown library you know wow like proper yeah proper yeah (laughs) so we spent a lot of summers and vacations in the UK where we just go see this guy and his diagnosis was okay it's a kidney issue so he said that there's Something that happens called the reflux, which happens to all kids. And just a trigger warning if anybody like low graphic about things, yeah. but it's normal. Don't worry. But what happens is that when you urinate, the connections from your kidneys to the bladder, it's like a muscle. It'll close. Yep. So then the bladder can push yep. urine out, right? For babies, your body's still developing. So these muscles are not there yet. So it doesn't close properly and it'll shoot back into the kidney, causing something called interior scarring to the kidney tissue. But also because babies' cells are amazing and they regenerate so fast. And so healthily. In my case, that didn't happen so well. Okay. In one of the two kidneys. So one took a real bad beating, basically. And that eventually resulted in something else called a dysplasia, which is one is weaker than the other and starts sort of sucking energy out of it. Out of the imbalance, yeah. Correct. But also now there's a question of, but do the bladder muscles in and of themselves work? So you don't want to kind of ignore that one thing. So he's saying... By 13, he's going to have a kidney failure. As a result of that, there's going to be a lot of malnutrition issues, development, growth, height concerns, like all these issues that come as a, for kids who are malnutrition. And he's going to need a transplant by 18. So he's going to be on dialysis for about five years. And at the time, if I'm not mistaken, was because you couldn't transplant on children. Today, you can't. The science is, is there. But back then, I think that wasn't a You're thing. You were straight on dialysis. So they like, 
no, we're not doing that. <laughs> and that kind of, as I said, that kind of kicked off this journey. So I saw all kinds of doctors, even like shakes and like what felt like voodoo doctors. <laughs> yep, like I've yep. seen all of them, therapists and everything was fine. Yeah. And till we got connected with this amazing nephrologist, Dr. Adela Bade, if anybody needs a nephrologist, okay. ask for, for him. people that don't know what a nephrologist He's is. He's a kidney doctor. Okay. <laughs> yes. And he's based in Dubai. Awesome, awesome guy. And he became my physician. I would see him every few months and, you know, that kind of kicked off this journey of it. And there are a lot of traumas and scarring issues that happen as a result because, for example, you know, we'd go to Jordan because my uncle's getting a heart, open heart surgery, uh, one of my dad's cousins. And while we're there, they're like, oh, apparently they're great nephrologists here. Let's go see them. And I, th I think I was about 14 at the time. So we go see them and they're like, all right, we're going to need we're going to need a catheter to be able to see the bladder through from the I inside. would hate to think how many catheter experiences oh, you've gone through in your lifetime. Yo, yeah, it's it's bad. And especially as a kid, like the, it's, as an adult, I can I can deal with it today as an adult. But as, as a, a kid, kid the, the, like child trauma was real with that. And the Jordan one in particular, because that catheter went in without enough anesthetics. And you've got to be joking. Yeah. And because I my muscles kept like I'm in a state of tensing. panic and yeah. kept tensing, it bent. So on the way out, it kind of scratched the inside as well. Oh my god! So now, twenty four hours can't can't go pee, can't urine as and without screaming. Yo, my parents tried everything under the sun, and it just did not work. Eventually, was rushed back to the emergency, and they're like, "What did you do did, to my how child?" Did that happened. Yeah. So that was that was a huge. How, issue. But all these years, kidney issues, all that, but no operating. So here's the thing: you um no no surgeries at all yet, and no dialysis, no dialysis. So. Not only did I make it past 13, I didn't need a transplant until 21. Okay. One, uh, that's for one. But Two. how did it affect you in life? So in life, I mean, the physical was not as bad as the mental. Okay. Because as a child, you feel invincible mm. regardless of what anybody yeah, says. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Even into your 20s, mm. you feel like you're top of the world. And I was not the healthiest kid. Like, as I said, I was varsity, played sports, and my brother and I used to compete on medals. Like, I was the only... African and like the school cricket team. Like I yep. played all kinds of sports. So there's that, but also you feel so invincible. Now I had, I got into like racial confrontations with kids at school, all these different problems, all the fights that happened. I started befriending people off campus mm. that were not, at 16, you should not be hanging out with 24 year olds that have no jobs and have no prospects and no, and no education. <laughs> Why were you? Rebellion. Like utter sheer rebellion. Because, because of the amount a, of control that was going on because or not lack of control that you had on exactly, your... Exactly, yeah. right? This is, I mean, teen rebellion is a thing, yeah. but I took it to an extreme because yeah. one, I can't get along with the kids in school and my relationship with them usually would end at the gate. Like I was just, yeah. I'm like, we ain't so, cool yeah. like that. But also I fight back. Like I wouldn't take shit from nobody, yeah. right? And that was also... Another, well, when you've had a catheter go in and come hey, out sideways. Yo, you can take a beating you and anything. you can beat... I would beat up a kid. His cousins would come and jump me for other guys. Like, it was just no-brainer. Like, but So you grew up the entire time with this, I don't know. like a, Call it a shadow. Call it a, some, whatever you want to call it. Whatever you yeah. want to call it. Well, <laughs> fucking a great. Crutch, so, hey, dude, the Grim Reaper fucking following you. And yeah, like, we're, we're hanging out. We're hanging out all the time, right? Like, we're home. He was there yeah. with you from the time you were two years old. Yeah. And then you hit 21, and that's when that was it. Kaput. Right. So exactly. So and the thing is that in that process in school, I'm doing all this. But then and here's what I learned from my therapist. It's it's about the, the need was for it at the time was to be seen and valued. Yep. And in the sense is particularly because I didn't feel seen or valued. The only times I was seen, I was either the troublemaker in school. Or it's like, we need to go to a doctor. I was always yeah, the sick You were kid. either sick. So you were always the... now. So now there's the guilt of being the burden of the family, mm. right? So you have that added pressure that you're delivering as well. Also, picking up bad habits, smoking, the fights, hanging out with the wrong crowd, messing about in life. Like, there is no way anybody could look at, like, my life and say, I have not lived to the max. Mm. Despite everything, I'm like, I think there was always a sense of timeliness understanding. But that's a, that that was uh you know that was one of the reasons that I really wanted to get you yeah talking on the show is and it is that that mindset yeah. that you had. Yeah. Time for you. And yeah and it and it's the first time I I reflect back on that with the understanding of time cuz usually the critical piece for me was Dr. Sarah Kamal who I credited earlier. I was I was terrible in her class cuz I just wouldn't show up. Mm. This was after my first surgery. 
And she's like, look, you're going to fail your midterm. So Hold on. When you say first surgery I is have in two. kidney. Two kidney transplants. Right. Before you go, okay, before yeah, you I go can there. Skip, I, jump I, timelines. Go for it. Your kidney failed? So right before I needed dialysis, I got my surgery. I ran this kidney to the ground. <laughs> I got it to the finish line. And they're like, yo, it's dialysis. You, you're like, mate, I got, I got past 13. Yo. You didn't think I was going to make yeah, it. Yeah, we and made it to I was, 21. And I was abusive to it. And I beat it. Yo, I was abusive <laughs> and I played basketball and I played sport. Like, I was not supposed to be this tall. Like, I'm, what am I, like 176? What is that, 5'9? Like, I'm not supposed to be this tall. Like, I've, and I've seen other patients who had kidney issues from youth and I've seen what has, that has yeah, done to their life. It lives. really stumps them. Yo. Yeah. And the, the mental, the emotional challenges. Everything. Like, I've shared hospital wards with so many people my whole life that like i've seen it across the years because it can break you oh it can break your spirit you you cannot come back from it and especially you didn't just have one but you had two Mm -hmm. and getting a kidney oh it's it's not easy i i was here's the thing i will always say this i'm the luckiest person on earth because not only did i get a kidney but first one was dad the whole family is the same blood type like let's just begin there the fact that you have a family of four boys two parents that are all the same blood type in and of itself yeah. You don't get a whole family being the same, no, do you? No, no, no. Like, that's no. that's really strange. Quite rare. It's rare. Um, so that, that was funny. So my dad insists on being the donor. Him and mom kind of had a thing about it. And he said, he's like, I've been the financier for this family. I haven't been a parent. Like, you've been doing the work. So I'm going to give him my kidney. I'm like, great. Now I need to carry that guilt. Appreciate it, bro. But, right. but, but, <laughs> but that's I'll take exa- it. But, but that's exactly it. Like, yeah. that's got to be yeah. heavy. And, oh, very. And then to, and at 21. Yeah. Oh, horrible. And then the second one was my brother. And then you went in for another one. <laughs> oh, yeah, because I needed it. What happened was a few weeks. So post-transplant, you are heavily, heavily immunosuppressed, particularly after the surgery. There's a whole system yeah. and a routine and a practice that goes into play where you got to make sure you're getting tested three times a week at the first month, and then you get tested twice a week, and then it goes to once a week. So the idea is that over time, the duration of you going back to the hospital is less. Is less, but also the amount of medications you're on is less. Like I, till, I'm on a lot of pills till date, but at least compared to back then, I was taking, it was 9 a.m., 11 a.m., uh, 1 p.m., 9 p.m., 11 p.m. And there were like a bunch of pills for each, and then there are different medications. It was a whole thing. And now it's 9 a.m., 9 p.m., and there are technically, wow. three, technically only three meds. But even those three meds, the quantities are high, right? So anyway... When you Father go through the you surgery, Jesus. you're immunosuppressed through IV. Oh, so, really? Yeah, because they got to get the body to accept the foreign, uh, the new kidney. Because just because you match doesn't mean your body will keep no, it. No, no, right? no, no, no. It can reject. Yeah, it can reject because what happens is your body identifies it as a foreign, foreign object. object. Just like a virus, just like a bacteria, it'll attack because it's not your mm. DNA. It's not you, right? We have similar DNAs, but it's not yours. Mm. And... The purpose of the medication is to get your body puts like a pause on, on your, your immune system. To not attack. Right? To not attack. And then there's a timeline where this IV fluid starts to leave your body and your system. So what happens is round one, day one, after the surgery, they start putting you on pills. So now as this decreases, the pills should take over the job. Now, this is where the problems happen because it's an, as the doctor said, it's an art more than it is science because mm. Everybody is different. Every immune system is different. Every DNA is different. It's very subjective. There are different products, different brands, different types that do different functions with different side effects. So it's about figuring out the, what, mm. what's right for different people. And that's hard. I mean, look, I'm glad I'm not a nephrologist in transplant because that is rough to mm. try and figure out this formula every time. That has too many variables, too many moving pieces. And has such a massive impact. And the repercussions yeah. of making a wrong decision are huge. And I was the result of wrong decisions. Oh, no way. And that's so, why you ended up with your second so kidney I got So yeah, a few weeks in, um, they always said, you got a fever, it's either a rejection or an infection. You rush to the emergency. Yeah. So went to the emergency. They're like, yep, it's a rejection. After a few tests, I got admitted right then and there. And I spent over 30 days, give or take, between post-transplant dialysis, plasma dialysis, um, a whole range of new medication that they were testing out. And my body would react so fast. It'll do all these kind of weird things, right? Um, like I'd suddenly, like I'd go through a plasma dialysis session and then some new medication and in a span a couple of hours, my whole forehead is just like pimples everywhere. Wow. And then you'll switch it around and it'll disappear. Like it never existed. Like it was so strange. And the problem is I was on like 
500 milligrams of cortisone or something. So now I'm beginning to gain weight and bloat up very fast due to water retention. Simultaneously, that amount of steroid medication messes you up completely. Like I kind of have an understanding what it feels like to PMS because there is no reason why somebody would watch The Simpsons and break out in ugly tears and then watch Hotel Rwanda and find it funny. Welcome to PMS. Yo, <laughs> like my mom thought I was crazy. Like who laughs watching Hotel Rwanda? It's dark. It's beyond dark. <laughs> it is a dark movie. But it's so dark that it would create such an you odd know? reaction. So I've had, I've had strange yeah. reactions yeah. to all kinds of things at the time. So while I'm dealing with that, one night a nurse comes in to check my vitals, which is normal. Like they do yeah. it around, clock, around the clock. But instead of getting mask, gloves, PEP, the whole thing, I think just absentmindedly comes in with nothing on. And you've got and no immune system. So oh. generally what would not even give you the sniffles, like your white blood cell, like mm, something strange, let's just get, it, get rid of it real quick. They are not there to do that. So I caught it and I started coughing to the point where I coughed blood. I coughed my lungs out. I pass out. Wake up a few days later in the ICU. Shit. And the doctors go like, so we had to make quick decisions, quick math. Uh, save the life, save the kidney. So we chose life because your lungs don't work. So we stopped all your immunosuppressants to give your immune system a fighting chance to potentially kick out whatever it is in your lungs. And I had this mask on my face that was pumping air in and out of my lungs. It does wow. the breathing for me. And the reference he gave, which I was I'm like, I appreciate your sense of humor in these times. It, he called it like a lawnmower. Like we're trying to kickstart your lungs again and wow. hope it works. Wow. I'm like, cool. Thanks, dude. So awesome. <laughs> thanks, keep, Doc. Keep pulling. Keep, yeah, keep at it. Um, and then I had like a breathing physiotherapist after a while that would like to learn to me. breathe again. Yeah. And like these machines that I would work on and I would take like three different like, you know, those like asthma sprays. I'd have like three different variations of it. And it was just was like, OK, we're building the lungs up from scratch. So I kind of went through that process. That entire experience resulted in a lot of beating to the kidney. Like, like it went 13 rounds period? with Muhammad Ali. What time will. period? This was summer of 2000. No, sorry. Surgery was 24th of May, 2010. This was by after semester started because I didn't stick around for the semester. My brother was born while I was in the hospital. So this is September leaning into October. So it was just a few months. A few months. Yeah. When did the next to this? So they said I needed, I'm going to need another kidney in two years or dialysis until we can figure out a match. Um, made it to 2016, so another medical mistake and another yeah. medical mir miracle. Shout out to mom and God because mom's prayers and God's listening. Yeah. Um, made it to 2016. Yeah. So you're how old by this stage? Oh. 2016, I was already working in the ad agency. Okay. That's when you and I, I met you after my surgery. Just after? Just after because my surgery was on the 4th of May. So remember right. I told you the bar yeah, 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 I did yeah, with yeah, Reem? Yeah. I knew I was going to have the surgery by Feb. So preparations began. And... I built the can show and this whole new thing. And I'm like taking all these projects Was that on board. what was driving you? Completely. Because time. Two, for you, time. So here's the thing. As I said, I credited time here throughout my entire life for the first time. Because generally, I credited Dr. Sarah Kamal. Because at the point, after my first surgery, I'm back in university finally, trying to just find normalcy in my life. And today, I understand I was going through severe depression. Mm. I didn't have the vernacular to know what that is. It's just I wanted to get the fuck out of the house. It didn't matter where I was going. I didn't even care to go to class. Like, it was, mm -hmm. I just wanted to be out now. So I'd go to university. I just wanted to attend classes. I'd just hang out, be a bum, and, like, go home. And it was hard because I gained so much weight that people didn't recognize me. Wow. Colleagues, classmates, friends, they're like, oh, hey, oh, that's you. Like, you know, they, they need, they'll take and a minute. You, and then the look. Yeah, and it's like, oh, what happened? And yeah. answering what happened 20 times a day, for, oh, it's exhausting. Breaks you so, down. So it was rough. So then... When she's like, come to my office, let's talk about this. You're going to fail the midterm, so might as well drop the course. I'll go to see her, and she's like, I'm one of the toughest professors on this campus. I do not give multiple choice exams. I usually give two to three questions, only open-ended. You have not attended one class, and attendance was like 10, 15% of the grade. You're not going to make it. You're definitely failing my class. Um, so just FYI, might as well drop it before the midterm. Now, don't tell me to do something or tell me I cannot do something. Uh, now I'm just going to be stubborn as all hell. Yep. So I'm like, all right, well, you're on. I'm like, I refuse to sign it. And I walked out. Opened the book and I flipped through the pages and everything just felt like sheer common sense. I'm like, none of this yep. is. I get it. I get it, like, I get it. I get it. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Done. Like, these chapters are going to be easy. And again, it goes back to, I think, just my exposure throughout my life because with music and hip hop culture, but also like business exposure through my dad, I had an understanding, but also I had great teachers where in high school I actually took business and economics courses so that gave me a good backbone mm. I walked into the exam and I aced the midterm 
I'm like, whatever, in your yeah. face, you know, kind of wanted to throw paper in her face, but like, there you go, you know? And don't, don't tell me, like, don't say can't. Yeah. I walked out with like a B plus or something in yeah. the course the following semester, just to be that guy. I took three classes with her. Yeah. Just I'm like, it's you and I, what's up? Yeah. What do we got? Yeah. <laughs> so I'll never forget media planning and buying class. I walk in and she goes like, it seemed like you matured between this, between the mm-hmm. semesters, three classes, huh? And she laughed. I'm like, yo, that is some backhanded ass compliment. Sure. Mm-hmm. Whatever. And she asked me to stick around after class and we started talking. She's like, okay, clearly you're not an idiot. Like, what's the deal? And I told her about what's been happening. And it was the first time I articulated out loud that I was like, I became very aware of my mortality. I'm like, I've never had this heightened sense of I can go at any minute. Yeah. And her response was like, let's say you die today. I'm like, yeah. whoa, ma'am, you have a way with words. You're like, awesome. You know? You don't mince your words, do you? <laughs> Seriously. And she was like, let's say that happens. What have you done for yourself? What is it that you've done that you're proud of? And I had nothing. All that I had was a little silly ass dance crew that I started on campus freshman year with a friend of mine. And that's not like something I can run home about. We're like, yo, we're dope dancers. Like, no. So <laughs> I was like, yeah, I don't know. I got, I got nothing. She's like, maybe you want to think about that. I'm like, cool. And then around the same time, I was taking another, uh, a different marketing class with a professor called Dr. Ahmad Maghrib. He worked in corporate by day, so he would teach in the evenings as an adjunct faculty. And his classes were awesome. Every, mm. Everybody loved them because he was the guy with like the tennis ball in class. If somebody falls asleep, throw it at his head and like he'll make jokes and super interactive and wouldn't open the books. And he would host classes outside of the classroom. So tough class to get access to, you know, but I happen to get into it. And most of the people who were Emirati guys in that, in that class because they would work in government by day. Yeah. They'd have a day job and then yeah. come to school in the evening. And that one class, it was raining and these girls were like, oh my God, it's raining. Yeah. You know, it's like winners, uh, good old Dubai winners. And the guys start like making jokes about one of the boys who got a new car. I was going to go drift in the rain. <laughs> you know, just like boy talk. About a couple of hours later, we get a BBM broadcast for those that remember. Oh my God, BBM. Yep. Yeah, and um, the kid unfortunately passed away in a car accident. And he actually was just on Shigzai. Dude was a newlywed two weeks in. Jesus. Just got married. And the car was like a wedding gift from his father-in-law, something along those lines. And the reason why this class will forever be like a moment for me, because that was the class where Dr. Ahmad decided, I got something to ask everybody. What do you got? Who here knows what a purpose is? And everybody shot the most random responses. Mm. And I thought it was just an interesting question. I don't know what what it even meant. Mm. And eventually some guy says, oh, leaving your fingerprint behind. And he's like, great. What is your fingerprint? And now guesses again. And when the kid said that, I wrote it down because I'm like, oh, that's great. And then he said, yeah, but what is that fingerprint? Like, oh, great. I was kind of scratched. (laughs) You know? And we didn't get anywhere. But he eventually said, like, for me, I was always called to be a teacher. Like, I quit. He used to play in the Egyptian handball professional national team, and he quit that to be a teacher. Like, even at his day job, his role is like corporate senior C-suite training. Like, he is a teacher. And I'm like, okay, cool. Great. That's what you, that's your thing. You know, that's your calling, bro. And I'm like, all right, so what's mine? And it kind of became this inquisition. I didn't have any clarity, but I was like, okay, we're going to do this thing. So part of it, if it's a fingerprint, then I took it to the literal sense of at every stage, what is the fingerprint you left? I was like, school, we messed that up. Let's not. Let's do something. <laughs> let's do something out here. So I started um, literally just called the agency, which was an ad agency concept that I built into the university. I got Dr. Sarah Kamaz, like our faculty member. And we would barter deals with different clubs. Like, hey, photography guys, we'll rebrand your stuff. We want you to cover our events and like kind of working out all kinds of deals. And... I remember as of the work, Dr. Sarah Kamal put me forward to, get, to go to the Leo Academy at mm-hmm. Dubai Links. And another professor put my name forward for it. But the university president rejected it because I was not a 3.7 GPA student. I was like, all right, cool. I created a sponsorship program within the agency to sponsor students with great potential that the university can't see to go to the Dubai Links. But OT, why do you think or what is it that got you... Because the pendulum can go either way. When you go through something that brings your mortality to your face and not only once but twice and then you you carry the guilt of, you know, your father and your brother brother gave you a kidney and, you know, there was the time where, you know, rejecting it, then feeling guilty of all of that. Yeah. Some people go to a dark place and never come back. I did. 
Yeah, but, but you came back. And I just had the right. You've never gone. No, I've, I've, I've. It's not that I've never gone to the extreme. I'm sh- I did. I was, I was in a very bad place, where, now I was, incredibly unhappy. I mm-hmm. was in a, probably the most toxic relationship I've ever experienced mm-hmm. in my life, and. At the same time, I was working at radio because it kind of gave me this excitement. Mm. And I was partying in a club seven days a week. Like there were kids from Abu Dhabi that I would go to Abu Dhabi with on a Monday or a Tuesday night party, go to an after party till 6 a.m., drive back to Dubai and not go to campus Mm. and not go to school. Just have fun with it. So I think I just had the right people like my professor at the time who kind of gave me this inquisition that I was like, okay, I need to figure this out. And... I think I just had great exposure in my life where I've seen the worst and I've seen the best simultaneously. Yeah, but you've maintained it. Yeah. For as long as I've known you, you've maintained it. And you've got this, it's like when you've, it's like when you've stared, stared death in the face. Oh, yeah. It, it makes you, it takes you somewhere where none of us who haven't been there yeah. can understand. Correct. It gives and you a perspective. Completely. And I think it was just one of those things where I'm like, okay, then if I am racing time and I could go at any minute, how much can I get done Mm. before I'm gone? That became the race of I need to get as much as possible because her question was clear. Mm. What have you done for yourself that you're proud of? But you don't do it. You don't feel a um, anxiety in you. Do you know what I mean? No. To sort of if you you feel like you're racing time. No, because something to do. Yeah, but to always feel like this today could be the day or any yeah. day when you've got, you know, because knock on wood, you're healthy, but yeah. you've had moments where you've ended up back in hospital, right? Yeah, like you're, loads. you're always going to be, like, we're not even going to touch on COVID. Yeah. You know, that was, that would have been a very scary time for you, Jesus. Yeah. And you did, and I'm and pretty sure you did go in and out of hospital a bit. So yeah. even you just going into the hospital could be yeah. over, yeah. but I don't feel any anxiety from you. Like as in, you know, you no, know, that so, anxiousness of I got to get it all done. I got to get it done. No, I got to so get it done. I do have that. You do? I just, it's all in my head more than I cannot articulate or talk it as fast as yeah. the thoughts in my head. Okay. If that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. No, it does. It does. Yeah. So like it's always there. And apparently now I have, I actually do have like a higher anxiety baseline. Like it's just there at all it's times. There. Yeah, yeah. And that's now become your norm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's my yeah. norm. Just like how at some point my doctor was like, oh, you got high blood pressure. We're going to put you on statins. And I'm like, nope, because the side effects yeah. of statins are horrible. And I'd argue with them. And I was like, great, I'm going to train it away. Like I'm going to figure out diet and workout and fitness to not need the medication. And technically on paper, it's higher, but the science is flawed. It was done against white men a very long time ago within a certain yeah, age group. Yeah. So there's actually no understanding of does it actually affect everybody that yeah. way. It's just a presumption that it does. And that's what you're taught in school. And I get that. But um, there are other people that argue that actually you can have a new baseline based on certain chronic illnesses that you can go through. And ever since I stopped them, it hasn't necessarily dropped, but it hasn't gone up. It's just been there. So my anxiety is kind of like that, where it's like it's a new baseline and that's my new norm. Jesus. Yeah. Awesome. Health, fitness, yeah. food, all of it. So that's, that's something that's now all these elements. Every day. But it all brings you peace. Mm-hmm. It's what brings you a lot of peace. Yeah. Okay. So if your teacher asked you today yeah. the same question. Oh, I'll be like, yo, I'm killing it right now. Yeah? Yeah, no, hands down. Like, I'm very proud of how far I've come, despite feeling like I'm not yeah. done yet. But what are you most proud of? I think what I'm most proud of is where I've managed to set control to my health and I can have a clear data argument to prove it. Not only my hospital tests, but... I've been measuring since tw- end of since late 2019 to early 2020. I weigh myself every day. I weigh and check the quality of food I have every every meal, and I measure my workouts, and I also measure my sleep. And I look at the data, I look at the stats, and I figure out a way around it and how to improve on it. And that's something I've been, for the most part, diligent. Very. Dil- I might have missed a week here and there, but otherwise, overall, very diligent. And learning how these all work. And setting a baseline. And now, despite all the red flags about my health, I have been at my optimal to a great capacity. To give it an example, on average, health insurance in this town costs you anywhere between 3 to 7K if you want a good package, decent one. I would get those. And then by the time we come to renew at the end of the year, 
they will f- by then figure it out on post-transplant. I never say I am. And I have had quotations that come back at, I've had 95,000. This was actually as of last week. I've had 175,000, which was a couple of years back. I've had about 130,000 from three to 5,000 per annum. I'm going to hundreds and thousands per annum. And my, at first I'm like, okay, I'm not going to deal with this. Just find a new one. But eventually I'm going to run out. Yeah. Options. Yeah. So this year I decided to put my foot down. I called them up and I was like, look, you guys, I have evidence proof on social media videos of me performance of my physical performance. Mm. I have reports from my doctors for this amount of time. I also have my sleep patterns. I have the food I eat and I have my weight um, and my BMI details mm. down to my fat percentage. I'm like, I can give you all that. I'm willing to bet. I will bet the same 95,000 that I am probably healthier than most of the most people, people that you couldn't consider, quote unquote, normal, who don't have a chronic illness. I was like, I'll bet my business on it. Mm. And I was like, what do you need for me to, I can, I can come in and provide yeah. all this information. So she's like, uh, let me talk to the team and get back to you. <laughs> Cannot compute. This you is know? not a normal process. Yeah. You're actually thinking outside the box. I was like, there was a point where I was a Nike sponsored athlete for some period of time. We made a film about it. Like, yeah. I was like, I'm like, at the very least, I know I got this thing going for me. So now they're like, all right, we just need a medical report. So, and I, was, I had my really? appointment, my follow-up appointment today. And I told the doc, I was like, bro, look, I need, I need a report for this thing. And he looked at me like, so what do you want it to say, though? I was like, just your, I was like, no, that no. I'm freaking awesome. Yeah. I was like, look, <laughs> I was like, there's already a language you have an understanding with the insurance companies that there's certain things you need yeah. to say. I was like, as a conclusion, I need a statement where you say that it, says that you're not the liability they think you are. Completely. I was like, yeah. in whichever wording you want. But as long as that message is clear that they understand that. Mm. And he's like, all right, cool. We'll figure something out. So like I'm fighting this fight. And I, this also inspired a new business that I've been working on since 2020, where I've been researching quite a lot on it. Well, and I'm developing some stuff with Reem in this aspect where it's going to focus. It's a health tech business in particular for people with chronic illnesses. And I'm sort of, I've R&D'd myself and people I know. And I've interviewed, like I've met Robert Neighbors, who's a barber, 52 years old in the U.S. And the guy's built like a gorilla. He's just like muscle. Like dude is massive. And I'm like, yo, if you could do that in your 50s, I can't wait, right? I met this, interviewed this 26-year-old girl named Megan who's a power lifter, little short thing in like countryside somewhere in the UK. I've interviewed people in Japan. I've interviewed people in Asia and different parts of the world that were post-transplant of any kind. Lung, I think kidney, I just heard your fingerprint. Whatever it is. I think I just heard your fingerprint. Okay? Yeah. So that's what now I'm working on building. That's, that's, that's what you're here to do. Completely. And I've told you, I was like, once this thing starts, the first thing going in the office before furniture, I'm going to print every new quotation I got from insurance companies, I'm going to have those framed up on the walls before getting any furniture in that office space. That's the first thing I'm going to put in there because that's, that's, that's what that's I'm working what on. That's what it is. I'm going to stop it there because I'm getting looks from the corner of my eye. We can go forever. I, I, but I, I warned wanna, you. I told oh, you no, this but, could happen. I, she usually is like, <laughs> but that's where I want to end it because that's your fingertip. That's your fingerprint. That okay. is your life. And everything that you've gone through has come to this one point. Yeah. This is what we're here for. I'm proud of you. Thank you. So proud of you. Appreciate that. I can't wait to... uh, Oh, it's going to be amazing. You're going to change people's lives. I hope so. That's the game plan. You will. Yes, ma'am. Looking forward to it. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Rooted Within. If you like this episode, please make sure you drop a follow so you never miss an episode in the future. Rooted Within with Lillian Dan.